Welcome to the 41st annual Oak Bible Reading Program. 41st. This event has been around longer than I have been. I mean, longer than I've been here, not longer than... <laughs> we have gathered tonight to uh, read and to hear the Word of God. Ancient words ever true, changing me, changing you. Words of life, words of hope, words of strength. As you can tell from your printed program, if you've taken a look at that, this chapel service has a long-standing tradition at Nazarene Bible College, and it does have a rich history. I don't have time to go into that tonight, but I did give you a little synopsis of its history there. The most important thing that can happen for us in this evening service is to have an encounter with the Word of God. So that's why we're here. Someone has said, has said a new impression of the Word is given by passing it through human lips which have been taught to voice it with the clearness, dignity, and beauty it deserves. I believe that we will get a new impression of the Word tonight. So I challenge you to listen with your mind and with your heart. As you listen to these readings tonight, you will notice that there are distinct differences in the passages of Scripture that we will hear. There are various genres of literature. Each of them has their own unique purpose. And so the vocal demands on the readers are different because the literature is different. We will hear prayers, prayers of confession, prayers of intercession. We will listen to words of instruction. We will hear persuasive appeals. And we will join the characters of Scripture in life-changing experiences. I invite you to jump inside. Get in there and become one of those. I encourage you to listen carefully as these students from the oral interpretation class read. And because of the nature of this service tonight, it would not be appropriate for us to applaud. So let's, let's withhold that. I didn't say you couldn't say amen. That might be appropriate. You've noticed that several of tonight's scripture readings are abridgments of longer passages. And so I think we'll all get more out of the experience of the word if we'll just close our Bibles, not try to find those passages, and simply listen while they're being read. I'm just trying to help us all get the most out of this experience. Before we hear the readings, let's express our desire to be receptive to the word by singing our prayer. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. And I've asked Chaplain Like to lead us in that. <clears throat> Good evening. Daniel the Faithful. Daniel, the 80-year-old scholar who has been in captivity for 67 years. Daniel the Faithful, also known as Shadrach in the Fiery Furnace. Daniel the Faithful, retrieved from the lion's den. Daniel, favored by kings and by God. Daniel had learned from the, from the books of the prophets, especially from Jeremiah, that the desolation of Jerusalem 
would continue 70 years, which we're drawing to a close. God's promises are to encourage our prayers, not to make them needless, and when we see the performance of them approaching, we should more earnestly plead them with God. It's Daniel's intercession and confession for Israel. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commandments and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, to our princes and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The men of Judah, the people of Jerusalem, and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us, because of our unfaithfulness to you. O Lord, we and our kings, our princes, our fathers, are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curse and the sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing upon us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the laws of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us. Yet, we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truths. The Lord did not hesitate to bring this disaster upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does. Yet, we have not obeyed him. Now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand, who made for yourself a name that endures to this day. We have sinned, we have done wrong. O Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and iniquities of our fathers have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, O oh God, hear the prayers 
and the petitions of your servant. For your sake, O Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, listen. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hear and act for your sake. O my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sins and the sins of my people Israel, and making my request to the Lord my God, Gabriel came in swift flight and said to me, Daniel, as soon as you began to pray, an answer was given, for you are highly esteemed. In his letter to Titus, Paul instructs Titus and the church leaders of today that we are to teach sound doctrine. When it comes to teachings outside of this circle, we are to declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, and let no one disregard us. We read from Titus. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace, and peace from God our Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Slaves are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient 
to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly, the, through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who believe in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once, and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that that person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people, for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. In the passage I will be reading tonight, the Apostle Paul recounts his dramatic conversion experience as he testifies before King Agrippa. We see the radical change in his life from Saul, the persecutor, to Paul, the preacher. He goes from hurting the followers of Christ to helping the followers of Christ. As you listen to his testimony, capture this epic moment in Paul's life. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs 
and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jews all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope and what God has promised our fathers that I am on trial today. This is the promise our twelve tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. O king, it is because of this hope that the Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priest, I put many of the saints in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. In my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. About noon, O king, I, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, who, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you today to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and all Judea, and to the Gentiles also. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. The word of the Lord. right place at the wrong time? Have you ever been at the wrong place and it ended up being kind of a right time? The Samaritans and the Jews didn't get along at all. And there's some historical reasons that I'm not going to go into before we read. But I do want to conclude with a paragraph that's outside of scripture. So 
As we get to know the woman of Samaria, a reading from the Gospel of John. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria, and he came to a town called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well, and drank from it himself, as did all his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks from this well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said, You are right. In fact, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you just said is quite true. Sir, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. I who speak to you am he. Leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. 
He did everything. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. The word of the Lord. There's a quote that I found in my research for my exegetical paper for this passage. And it caught my heart. And actually, several of my classmates, because they've asked me for it. This is a quote from Ephraim the Syrian. Jesus came to the fountain as a hunter. He threw a grain before one pigeon that he might catch the whole flock. At the beginning of the conversation, he did not make himself known to her. But first, she caught sight of a thirsty man, then a Jew, then a rabbi, afterwards a prophet, last of all, the Messiah. She tried to get the better of the thirsty man. She showed dislike of the Jew and she heckled the rabbi. She was swept off her feet by the prophet and she adored the Christ. May we, as she did, learn to adore him. Imagine, imagine yourself as one of the 12 disciples. You've just had your feet washed by Jesus. He's told you that one of you will betray him. He tells you to trust him and that he is the way to the Father. He tells you that he is the vine and that you are the branches. He talks of his death and his resurrection. Then he tells you that after he leaves, he will send the advocate, the spirit of truth. Now imagine that you are sitting next to him as he raises his eyes in prayer and he says, Father, it is time. Display the bright splendor of your son so your son in turn may show the bright splendor. You put him in charge of everything human so that he might give real and eternal life to all that is in his charge. For this is the real and eternal life. They know you, the one and only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth by completing down to the last detail what you have assigned for me to do. And now, Father, glorify me with your very own splendor, the very splendor I had in your presence before there was a world. I spelled out your character in detail to the men and women that you gave me. They were yours in the first place. Then you gave them to me. And they have now done 
what you have said. They now know beyond the shadow of a doubt that everything you gave me is firsthand from you. For the message you gave me, I gave them. And they took it. And they were convinced that it came from you. They believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the God-rejecting world, but for those that you gave me, for they are yours by right. Everything mine is yours, and yours is mine. And my life is on display in them, for I am no longer going to be visible in this world. They will continue in the world while I return to you. Holy Father, guard them as they pursue this life that you conferred as a gift through me, so they can be one heart and mind as we are one heart and mind. As long as I was with them, I guarded them in the pursuit of the life that you gave through me. I even posted a night watch, and not one of them got away, except for the rebel bent on destruction, the exception that proved the rule in Scripture. Now I am returning to you. I am saying these things in the world's hearing so my people can experience my joy completed in them. I gave them your word. The godless world hated them because of it. Because they did not join the world's ways, just as I did not join the world's ways. I am not asking that you take them out of this world, but that you guard them from the evil one. They are no more defined by this world than I am defined by this world. Make them holy, consecrated with the truth. Your word is consecrating truth. In the same way that you gave me a mission in the world, I give them a mission in the world. I'm consecrating myself for their sakes so they will be truth consecrated in their mission. I am praying not only for them, but also for those who will believe in me because of them and their witness about me. The goal is for all of them to become one heart and mind, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, so that they may be one heart and mind with us. Then the world might believe in you, in fact, sent me. The same glory you gave me, I gave them, so they will be as unified and together as we are. I in them, and you in me. Then they will be mature in this oneness and give the godless world evidence that you have sent me and loved them in the same way that you have loved me. Father, I want those that you gave me to be with me right where I am so they can see my glory the splendor you gave me, having loved me long before there ever was a world, 
Righteous Father, the world has never known you, but I have known you. And these disciples know that you sent me on this mission. I have made your very being known to them, who you are and what you do, and continue to make it known so that your love for me might be in them exactly as I am in them. In the chapters of Exodus that I will be sharing with you this evening, Israel has once again, by their sin with the golden calf, broken covenant with God, resulting in a command to leave Sinai and Yahweh's refusal to escort them further. Once again, Moses finds himself pleading their cause before God. And as he does so, he boldly reminds Yahweh that this people is your very own people. And his sincere petition elicits a change of heart and a new covenant between Yahweh and the people of Israel. Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your people. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hivites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp, and whenever Moses would go into the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. 
you have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this people is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. When the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord, and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed down to the ground at once and worshiped. O oh Lord, if I have found favor in your eyes. Then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin, and take us as your inheritance. Then the Lord said, I am making a covenant with you before all your people, I will do wonders never before seen in any nation in all the world. The people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. Christ, 
the power of God for salvation. God breathed, imperishable, everlasting, truth, perfect, pure, righteous, living and active, supernatural, revealing, penetrating, effectual, wonderful, a witness, a sword, a lamp, a light, a fire, a hammer, the good seed, our tutor, the law of liberty, our spiritual food, eternal life at work within us, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, more desirable than gold, sweeter than honey, it's the word of life. It became flesh and dwelt among us. It will never pass away. It will be totally fulfilled. It stands forever. It needs no corrections. It accomplishes God's desires. It convicts us, shuts our mouths, humbles us, and exposes our sinfulness. It illuminates, gives understanding, and opens eyes. It imparts faith, leads us to salvation, restores the soul, regenerates, and equips for every good work. It heals us, revives us, sustains us, restrains us, sanctifies us, strengthens us, and establishes us. It makes us wise, keeps us pure, and it sets us free. We are to eagerly receive it, handle it accurately, abide in it, hide it on our hearts, and write it on our hearts. We're to pay close attention to it, examine it, teach it, remember it, praise it, preach it, defend it, and contend for it. We're to long for it, delight in it, love it, treasure it, and rejoice in it. We're to keep it, continue in it, be nourished from it, and be doers of it. We're to fear it, tremble at it, and stand in awe of it. We're to speak it boldly, be good stewards of it, and glorify it. We're to trust it, believe it, implant it, hold it fast, suffer for it, and live by it. And so we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. For man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Amen? Amen. Stand and let's pray. Father, we have heard your word. Make it our word. We have, wor have wor heard words that have described your actions. May those words describe our actions. We have heard your covenants. May those covenants be ours. We have heard your prayer for us. May that prayer be ours. And more than that, we pray that your word and your words and your prayer and your covenant would be, the, be seen in the witness of our lives so that those who don't know you yet can embrace your word and your words and your prayer and your covenant to the glory of God, we pray. Amen? Amen.